please make Scott feel welcome. Here you go. You, you always look like you want to give you a cuddle, don't you? Oh, oh, <laughs> so uh, you've been married to Kim for how long? Uh, 33 years. Yeah. And kids? Yes. Uh, four of them. Uh, they're from 28 down to 20. And three grandkids? Boys, three boys and a girl. Our first boy's given us three grandchildren in the last three years. And our second child only got married last December and so far nothing. So <laughs> and you're kept busy in We're grandparent busy. duties? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. Um, now, you've worked as... You're the kind of guy who explains what you do and we go, uh, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah? I, I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, I um, started a software company, so I haven't started a church, but I started a company uh, 30 years ago. And, um, and I went through all the issues of being a one-man band and then building it As up. well as the software company. Yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> I also played in a Christian band as well yeah. uh, for 14 years. But, um, but with a software company, I ran it for 30 years. It's got um, 30 staff and I've transitioned out of it, so I've been able to develop leadership underneath me that is now running the company. So I just go in once a month for board meetings and collect checks. And, um, and the company runs quite well, and it's got 30 staff, and it's really good. That's all good fun. As well as that, we've done some other stuff like property development and other investments and yep. things on the fly. Okay. All right. And you, you and Kim are members of EV Church, where one of the other Geneva directors, Andrew Hurd, is the senior pastor there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and along with, with others, volunteers and, and staff and everything involved in kind of helping Geneva sort of take off as well. And, and so that's in a whole range of different kinds of ways, from helping with conferences to giving advice, merited, invited and uninvited, yeah, totally uninvited and all these sorts of things. It's, it's actually been one of the joys because yeah. I started getting out of my company about eight years ago yeah. and then I started at the only time I could think of about how to use my skills then was doing some overseas poverty work. Mm. So I started working in places like North Korea and the Philippines and stuff doing, doing poverty work. But then, um, then Andrew sort of wrote me into doing some um, stuff around the church and helping with some strategies and and uh, and it was just such a blessing to be able to use the skills and knowledge that I had to be able to help the gospel to be more effective both at EV and in the wider denominations like FIEC if that's a denomination and uh, and Geneva yeah it it truly is great to be gospel partners with it is it's fantastic can I ask you a couple of quick questions before I hand across to you you just did okay the first of all is what do you enjoy about Geneva in particular your involvement with Geneva I think it's it's the excitement of um, of just meeting all you young people and some not so young, but some of you guys that are just enthusiastically setting out and just like I call it like um, seagoing tadpoles, you know, <laughs> like like you don't really know what's in front of you and you're probably not that big enough to cope with it, but you're going for it anyway, right? And you don't really know what's outside in the deep dark waters, but it's it's exciting stuff. I I know what it's like to do that sort of stuff. It's really frightening. And, um, and I can relate to what was said this morning. You know, sometimes if you, if you realised what was there, you probably wouldn't have started. But that's the graciousness of God. He lets you do these things in small steps before you realise what's happening. Yes. So it's a good, yeah. so I, I love being part of it and seeing the enthusiasm and the excitement. I love being able to contribute yeah. and just to be able to uh, chat with any of you guys. Now, what do you worry about? I mean, I know this kind of feeds in money is one of those worries, no doubt. But are there other things you worry about as you you look across a room like this and chat with people? What are some of the things you bring to God in prayer for the Geneva <coughs> Network? Um, it's I, I I get a real passion and a feel for a good stewardship yep. and wastage. 
is a real touch point for me and I find that it's really tragic how often we, all of us, do things inefficiently just through lack of knowledge, lack of structure, lack, lack whatever it is. And so I love being able to help people think through um, how to do things better, how to do things more efficiently, make less mistakes and, and therefore cause less grief so that most of the stuff that we do is in a positive movement forward. So yeah. what really I worry about is just when you hear sometimes some um, church pastor will get up and talk about the problems they've had and the grief, that's, and I, I'm just just knifing the heart stuff because I think, yeah. oh, that's so hard, you know. Yeah. So hmm. let me pray for you and, and for us as that's we good. hear you. Yeah, you'll yeah? need prayer. Yeah, loving Father, we thank you for Scott and your work in, in his and Kim's life over many years. <coughs> thank you for the many opportunities you've given him to be a partner with you and your people in the work of the gospel uh, in uh, New South Wales, in Australia and beyond. Uh, thank you for his generosity in, in time and prayer and spirit and money for uh, encouraging the expansion of your kingdom. And uh, we pray that now you help him speak freely and truly and lovingly to us. Please help him provide guidance to us in our uh, personal lives and church ministry lives in this whole area of, of managing our money and stewarding the, the wealth you've given to us. And uh, we pray that you help us hear him well and uh, be able to know how best to debrief on this stuff uh, afterwards as well. We pray this for your glory and for our joy. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Appreciate that. All right. Well, I'm, I'm not really good behind podiums, so um, I'm just going to walk around with this. Yeah, right. um, yeah so it's interesting as, as you go through life working out how important is money to you? And, and none of us really want to want to say that money is important to us because then that makes us feel that we shouldn't be. Um, but the problem is money is a resource and we need to be able to use it wisely and be a good steward of it and in a godly form so that we can uh, make sure that uh, we have the resources available to us to do the ministry that God's, God's charged us with. Now... Um, Last year, um, I was asked to give a talk at Refresh on money. And, and so being me, I went and thought, ah, what do I want to talk about? And so I came up with all this wonderful material for five different talks. And, um, and then my wife, who's much more intelligent than I am and much more people-centric, said, look, less is better than more. And so at that time, if you remember, we got a little graph out of all the, the five different things I was going to talk about and the little major topics and we handed them around to everybody and said so fellas mark which is the top three or five that you wanted now girls which are the top ones that you wanted and then we tabulated all the results and that was how we determined which sequence we started off and we got the first two done and that was it so how good is that so I've got all this material to talk about today <laughs> So what we talked about last time, well, this was interesting when you think about it because this surprised me no end. Uh, I would have thought that some of the structuring or sourcing the money would have been probably the highest points that I would have thought um, that would have been from ministers. The last thing I would have thought would have been investing and spending. Um, so it was a really interesting thing. It was very much driven by the girls, by the way. So it was very, very strong points that uh, clearly... There's a, there's a skew here when you're a church planter and you're going out on your own that the security and the safety of what you're doing for the future and how you're managing your resources for where you are today is really quite important. So that was, that was really interesting stuff. 
So if you're really interested in that stuff, tough, because we did that last year. And now you've got to try to remember what it was. So as we, as we chat about today, I'm going to talk about structuring money. Now, why do I... Whoop, that didn't quite work, did it? So... Nope, it didn't work at all. So much for my intelligent hyperlinks. Sorry. There we go. So structuring the money. Now, when you have a certain amount of resources for you, what I don't like to do is waste it, as I said, and I certainly don't like to give it to banks and so forth. So as you're working out what should... How many here would actually have a house? Yep. Okay. So we've got a fairly high proportion, so I'll work on that basis that we've got a house happening. Now, even if you don't have a house in place, you still want to make sure that you do some research and make sure that you've got the right bank accounts in place. Now, this is all pretty obvious, but sometimes we end up choosing a bank or a building society or whatever we want to use that is um, just a convenient one. It's because that's what we had when we were kids or that's what our parents had, and so we end up just going with the same one. Believe me, if you are a bank's regular customer, you would think that would give you extra benefit with the bank, but it doesn't. They tend to give more benefit to people who hop banks. So if you go to a bank and they see that they're in a more competitive environment, they'll actually give you better deals. They'll give you cheaper interest rates and all sorts of stuff. So it does pay to look around. So check out... The low fees that you're getting on the bank account, make sure that you're... Because they do have bank accounts that have low or no fees. Particularly if you're in a church, uh, they do have... Um, a lot of banks have charitable accounts uh, that if you're a defined charity, you can actually get free, fee-free accounts so that you don't have to pay any fees on them. And that's worth just chasing. Sometimes you've just got to ask. Um, joint and separate. Now... As a couple, it sometimes is important to have um, joint bank accounts and sometimes you have separate bank accounts. I guess one of the things that I'd talk about is from a marriage perspective is it's important. A couple of points is that you don't have your money and his money or her money. Yep, that you don't think about it as being, you know, you've got two separate bank accounts that are yours and mine that they really need to be seen of is that if you do have separate bank accounts that you treat that as being this is our money and just for whatever reason we're choosing to put it into separate accounts rather than seeing it yours and mine. Do you understand? So it, it, all of the money that you should have should be our money and it should be a we that we're creating here so that our money isn't, isn't hidden from each other or separated even in a logical form. Which leads me to my next point, which is nothing hidden. Now, we have seen situations where couples will keep money hidden from each other. Now, it might start off for a good perspective. It might be because you want to buy him that gift and you don't want him to know how much it costs, so you start you know, saving some money from the groceries or something and sticking into a separate account so that you've got that and he doesn't know about it. Yeah? Even if it's for good reason how you started it, can I encourage you not to do that? Um, I think it's really, really bad for a relationship and I don't think it's, it's healthy because you shouldn't have any expenses or any opportunity for 
something to be able to be hidden from your partner. Does that make sense? Um, I know it might be for altruistic reasons, but it, it does actually work against you. Now, actually, I'll come on one before that. With the, also the structure of the money, understand that, that guys, girls cost a bit to run um, if you haven't worked it out by now. So, girls, if, if you've got to get your hair done and it's... Yeah, yeah, I haven't got to the guys yet. Wait for it. This is a fair and equal transition. So, girls cost a bit. So, if it costs a lot to get your hair done or those shoes that you want because you don't have any shoes and, and all, all the stuff that you need to make yourself the makeup and so on to make yourself look as beautiful as we really appreciate you to be, then, for goodness sake, don't try and hide that. Don't try to do it by mixing a bit on bank card and a bit on an FPOS and a bit on a bit of cash out of your purse. Be honest and open with where, those, where the cash is coming from so it's very clear and open. Now we come to the boys and their toys. right? So boys and toys are also quite expensive and it can be quite easy for guys to then say, I really don't want to know how much I paid for that BMX or what do you call it, BMX, a motocross, motocross bike or, or, the, or the, the shotgun or the... Um, <coughs> <laughs> or, or the, the, the um, you know, I'm, drive, I'm trying to restore a Mustang or something and I'm, that door, I really want that door. And so you, you go and spend all this money on, on your little toys. Now, if you're going to spend the money on the toys, that's great, but make sure that your wife is on the same page with you. It should be agreed expenses, that you should be doing things together so that you have an equal share in understanding what each other costs to run. Okay? And some are higher and lower maintenance than others. Now, for those who have homes, um, hand up if you know what an offset account is. Uh, if you've got a home and you don't know what an offset account is. Okay, good. Okay, so I will just talk to that. And for those of you who've got offsets, you may not quite understand how it actually works. So with a home loan... Um, Quite often you can be chasing through different banks to find out what the cheapest interest rate is that you can possibly get. And then you have your home loan down here, which is getting that cheap interest rate. But usually all of us will have at least one savings account, if not more, that we've got floating around that we have, you know, that's where the pay comes in, it's the money comes floating in and out, we pay our bills from and that sort of stuff. Yep. Now, with our savings account, those are the... Um, the money that sits in there normally, if it's not an offset account, you, then you may get very, very low interest rate on it, but then you have to pay tax on that interest that you receive. So it's actually not very helpful. But that's all money that you then have to toss up. Oh, should I take that money and pay it off my home loan? Uh, and then maybe draw it back if I need it, yeah? Because that would save me interest if I did this. You understand the thinking of that? The benefit of an offset account is you don't even need to worry about that. Because when it actually calculates the loan's interest on a daily basis, it takes off how much you owe from how much is in the credit balance in your savings account. So the interest on a daily basis is lower. Have you sometimes heard where, where you know, when you're paying your home loan on a monthly basis and people say, that's a 25-year loan, but if you take the same amount that you pay monthly and you just halve it and pay it fortnightly, or bi-monthly, every half month, you'll cut years off your loan. Have you heard that? 
And the reason why that's the case, or even do it more and pay a quarter every week, if you do that, you're actually paying less interest on a daily basis through the month. Because we all just keep thinking that once a month the interest hits our bank account. Yep. Once a month the interest hits our loan and we can't really do anything about that because that's just how much we owed that month. But it's not actually that way. Let me show you how it works. Oh. Let me show you how it works. Now you probably can't read this and I'm sorry, but if you can get the drift, this is like a, a transaction of a home loan, for example. This is your days down here. I'm getting a bit of feedback there. This is your days down here and this is your transaction that comes through and you start, and that's your balance over here. So on your home loan, if you start off with $200,000 that you owe, then each day you still only owe the $200,000. When the loan payment comes in, you only owe $197,000. And then you go ding, 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 until the end of the month, the interest hits the account. So you that's how you think it just runs. But what's actually happening in the background is the bank keeps this little bucket over here that it calculates on a daily basis. So it works out on the 1st of September at 6% on 200000 you owed $32.88 interest. And it puts it in a little bucket, right? It doesn't tell you about it, it just accumulates it for you. Next day, same amount. Next day, same amount, da 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 When you get to the 20th when your $3,000 loan payment goes in, it's the loan interest for that day has dropped 50 cents. So for the rest of that month, you're actually saving 50 cents a day. Now, 50 cents a day, but this is on the example. And then the interest at the end of the month gets accumulated and dropped over there. That's how a normal loan payment thing happens. Now, if you have an offset account, now again, just run with me while I try to explain this. So you've got the same thing happening over here on the home loan. But now you've got a savings account here, which is offset. And so let's say you start and you've got $8,000 there because that's, that's what your mad money is in case something happens to the car. Then you get your pay come in. You've got some groceries that come out. And, and then you do your home loan payment like normal. Some petrol comes out and so on. So the balance of this interest, this uh, savings account, goes up and down through the month. Yeah. So what happens when, when you've got an offset account as it's calculating this bucket interest, it's working out what is the net that you owe each day. So now it's not 200000 for the first day, it's not 192000 and 192. And then as your pay comes in, it's 186. And so as each day's transactions come through, that changes the net balance, which means your bucket interest is changing every day. And by the end of the month, just on this example, it means that instead of paying $980 interest, you're only paying 921 So for doing exactly the same as what you're doing now, you've just saved yourself $60 a month. You could. <laughs> and that's a bit random. So <clears throat> do, you get, do you get the understanding here? So what an offset account does, it actually, it actually pretends that every bit of savings you've got in your savings account it's just as if every day you pay it off your home loan and then when you want some groceries, you're drawing it back out of your home loan. So you're only paying interest for every day. Now that can make a massive difference depending upon how much money you, you owe over here but how much money you've got floating in and out of your transaction account and how much you've got 
in your mad money in case the car really does finally cough its last breath this week, you know, as you've been worried about it, so you've got the money in the bank waiting for it. Is that un- do you understand that? Offset accounts. Now, how do you get offset accounts? You go to your bank, and if your bank doesn't um, uh, have it, then you change banks. Uh, it's very simple. If you go to your bank and they don't already have one of these set up for you because they didn't want to tell you how it worked because they lose money and it's more work for them, um, then what you do is you go to the bank and you say, look, we, we want to be able to have one of these offset accounts. Can you offer it to us? And if they can't, then you say, okay, well, we're going to go and look around to what a bank can do. Now, uh, inside information, um, banks such as the NAB, Westpac, ANZ, definitely have offset account packages that are free of charge and you can just roll straight onto them. Usually if you've already got a savings account, they don't even have to change a savings account, they just have to link it, which makes you wonder, why didn't they do it before? Because they'd lose interest. Yeah. So if you've got a Commonwealth Bank, the Commonwealth Bank will tell you they've got a, um, an offset account arrangement and it sort of is, but it sort of isn't. Um, they make you actually have two separate accounts, one for your daily transactions and one that's like a redraw account that offsets against your home loan. And you've got to do transactions in $500 or more, which means it doesn't work. I don't know why the Commonwealth does it that way. That's just the way they've done it. So I wouldn't recommend the Commonwealth if you're wanting to go for offset arrangements. But Westpac, ANZ and NAB all have these accounts available to you. Questions? Yep. Sure, yeah, go for it. Yeah, now I've probably got a bit of thinking on ministry expense accounts that you probably shouldn't have a ministry expense account in your name that you can draw on because it probably should be in the name of the church. Well, then it can't be in your name offsetting against your home loan if it's not your money, it's the church's money. Hmm? Yep. Yes, but you've got to keep thinking. It's not your money. It's church's money. Well, I'd suggest having a look at because you still get a stipend, yep. still get your housing allowance. That's what, so you could you just have to run your numbers through this sort of a spreadsheet, just see what you save. But but it doesn't take much to save, you know, one or two dollars a day. Yeah, it's three to six hundred dollars a year for doing nothing. Like that's what I mean. You don't you don't have to be too sexy with this stuff. You just do life like you normally do it, but you just get the bank to tick a box. Yep. Any more questions on that? Yeah, Pete. Like. Well, the offset account 
is a savings account. So you can't take any more out than what's there. It's your save. You're thinking about a redraw. You're thinking about either a redraw or a line of credit, right? A, li- a line of credit is sort of like where these things are smashed together so you don't even have a home loan. You like, basically, it's an overdraft facility against your home and you only pay the interest on whatever is the balance of your overdraft. So you can draw out and you can put in. Usually the interest is about a half a percent or 1% higher on a line of credit than a normal home loan account. So this is a much better arrangement than a line of credit, and even from a security perspective, because an overdraft is a borrowing facility, whereas this is a bank commitment for 25 years. Right? Why is that different? You know, in 2008, we just went through that credit crisis, and all the banks were worried about their loan portfolios. If you've got a line of credit, the bank could just say, we don't want to give it to you anymore. So pay us back our money because it's a line of credit. It's a draw facility that they then can remove from you. So if you have a line of credit, for many reasons, interest rate, danger, lack of security from the bank, I don't really like those structures for that point of view. Other thoughts? Emma. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a good question. So what Emma's saying is, if you are actually saving money and making money so that you know, your balance at the beginning of the month is 8000 at the end it's 10000 and you just keep doing that every month because you're really good at doing something, so should you then take some of that money and pay it off your home loan? Well, financially, there's absolutely no reason why you should because... You're not paying any more interest because you've got it there. And the advantage is you've actually got the cash there. You could do what you want to do. And as you said, if you can control yourself right, because you've got that money available to you, it doesn't mean you run out and spend it, then I'd say leave it there because then you never know what you might want to do with it. And I think having the cash there in front of you every day, you go, wow, look, I've got $50,000 there now. You know, How am I being a good steward of that money? What should I do with that money? And that helps you to think through the other process of, of um, being a good steward of that money rather than just pay it off the home loan, you never think about it again. Pete? Well, you can always try. See... If Mr. Anderson. Yep. Yeah. So, so there you go. But even if you didn't see Mr. Anderson, you can always um, you can always go to a broker or go to another bank because you're not burning your bridges before you go. You're going and doing your research beforehand. And then if you find they'll agree to it, then you can do the change. So that's important. Now, no more questions. There's, there's an extrapolation from this I'd like you to think through. Now, because this means that the longer you leave money in your bank account before you spend it, the better off you're going to be, isn't it? Because each day that you can delay spending that money and taking it out of your offset account means you're paying less interest. 
get it? So, um, now we come to another point, which is... Shot once a fortnight. Shot once a fortnight, <laughs> exactly. But another thing is credit card usage. Now, firstly, I'll put a caveat up. If you cannot be trusted with a credit card, don't do this. Right? And why would I say don't be trusted with a credit card? If you're the sort of person, if you've got $50 in your, in your pocket, you'll spend it because you've got 50 bucks in your pocket. Yeah? It burns a hole in your pocket. But if you're the sort of person that will only buy things that you need or, th- or determined on a lifestyle that you've, you've determined with you and your partner, then, then that $50 can stay in your pocket for weeks and it won't make any difference because you'll only spend it on what, you, what your normal expenditure would be that you'd have. Because a credit card is like having thousands of dollars in your pocket. Because it means that if you want to buy something and you're an impulse buyer, you can actually buy it and pay it with a credit card because the cash is there for it. So if you're a danger in those situations and you can't trust yourself with cash, then please be really careful about ever going into credit cards. Now, putting that aside, so let's assume you can be trusted. So as you go through the month, if if you want to buy groceries and petrol or pay the electricity or whatever it is, all those things that you have that take money out of your bank account, if you put those on a credit card, you can not have to pay for those for like six weeks. So if your statement date of your credit card is the first of the month and you buy things on the second of the month, like groceries and that, you won't have to pay for those groceries until like the 14th or 15th of the next month. So for those six weeks, that money hasn't been out of your offset account. It's actually been saving you interest on your home loan. Understand the concept? So I just wanted you to be aware that that sometimes we say we just don't have enough money to make ends meet, but quite often it's actually the way we manage our money and how we squeeze the lemon that makes a big difference. These little matters can make big differences. Having an offset account, structured setup, and being able to use credit cards intelligently for your expenses can really help you to save a lot of money off your home loan that mounts up to thousands over a year. Any questions? <laughs> Tell us more. Well, well, that that may be the case, but it may not be, because if you can't make the whole payment of the credit card, it could be because you've gone through a tough time, you're out of work, or or you're going through Bible college and the job didn't happen, or whatever it was, and you're in a situation where you just, you know, you thought you'd have the money and you didn't have it and you couldn't make the payment. So, but it's not a good idea to have a credit card that you don't pay the full balance at the end of that six-week period. If you pay the full balance, then there is no interest charged on it and, and it's a clean slate and you've had the use of their money for six weeks for no charge. But if you don't pay the full balance, if you only pay the minimum that they tell you to pay, because usually they say, minimum you have to pay, big letters this big, total balance you owe is this much, right? Because they only want you to pay the minimum balance because then they slug you with this huge interest bill for everything you haven't paid. That's something to be cautious of. But once you understand that then you can save yourself a fortune. The other cool thing with credit cards is when you put things on credit cards 
many of the credit cards these days are linked to Qantas frequent flyer programs. And that means that you can earn like a one and a half points for each dollar you spend or 0.6 of a point for each dollar you spend depending upon whether you use an Amex or a, or a Visa that they give you. Um, then that means that you can, as you do your normal expenses or your, even your ministry expenses that you then claim back, those can all be on your credit card that can accumulate frequent flyer points for you. Now you might think, yeah, but the old flybyers never really bought you anything but a postage stamp at the end of the year. But these frequent flyer points can actually really mount up quite quickly and you'll be amazed at what you can, um, what you can use them for. So, and that's a side benefit, again, that costs you nothing. It just happens through doing your normal, your normal exercise of running the show. So that's just on managing money, okay? But, but I go back to that first part. Whatever you're doing, it's really, really important that you do it as a we, as a partnership together. Usually in a couple we find that one, one person will be more onto the money than the other person, and so the other person lets them do it, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> yes, that's right. <clears throat> I'll come to that in a minute. But, but the point being is that even if that is the case and you do trust him to do that, you still want to make sure that you're on the same page as to what you're doing and why you're doing it and what's really happening and what loan situation do we have. I think it's always important. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a case of <coughs> with your income being stable or unstable because you should really know from month to month where you're going to be. Um, what I was talking about where you may not be able to make the payment at once or something is because you got caught out because something untoward happened. Um, but you just have to make sure that if you go through a situation where your job changes or or you're on less income, that, that you have to cut your cloth accordingly as to what you spend and still live within your harvest. How you then charge that stuff, whether you do it on FPOS to your savings account or whether you do it on a credit card, doesn't really matter because you've just got to keep in your head, I can't spend any more than I've got that I can pay off at the end of that six-week period. Yeah, that's true. Just use a debit card at that time. And for those of you who remember what we talked about last time with the spending plan and how we tracked the spending last year and we chatted about that, that's part of understanding that everything that you spend, whether a credit card or debit card, that it comes up on your transaction with where it was spent from. So it's, that's really important for tracking your spending, which is part of your, your spending plan and your budgeting process. Um, Whereas if you just have cash in your pocket or you take money out from an ATM, um, you don't know where that's spent, you don't know where it's gone. And so that, that can be a real problem. So, any more questions on that? Mm-hmm.
always. Um, you'll find that banks won't tell you cheapest accounts to have. They won't tell you the ways to get the cheapest interest or even offset accounts. They just don't do it. Um, yeah, well, then you need to change. So, you, But you can go to the bank and say, look, why am I paying for my offset account? Um, other banks don't. So what are you doing? Um, even like I borrow a lot of money through the various investments that I've got and you'd think I'd be on a good interest rate. And it wasn't until um, a couple came that were chatting you know, with me about how they could restructure their finance one night and, and then they said, oh, can you, you know, come into the bank? And so I gave them, you know, we went and had a chat at the bank. And then the bank said, oh, look, we'll give you this thing and we'll give you 0.8 of a percent off. And, and I said, what interest rate is that? And they told me, I said, that's lower than what I'm getting and this is my bank. <laughs> and they were just a, just a home loan couple. So I walked them up to my bank bank manager. What's going on here? You know, he said, oh, 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 yeah, oh, okay. Well, we'll adjust that. Yeah, so that's nice. You're going to adjust it retrospectively? Oh, no. Yeah, that's the problem. Sometimes you just got to ask. Um, like with the National Australia Bank, they've got a a thing called a, a choice package, which means um, you pay one fee per year, which is about three hundred and ninety dollars or something a year. But for that, you get unlimited number of loan accounts, unlimited number of offset accounts. You don't pay any bank fees. You don't pay any uh, loan application fees. Uh, you don't pay any uh, transaction fees on your on all your accounts. You don't pay. And they give you these platinum credit cards that you don't have to pay for that are all linked to the Qantas. And, and, you sort of, and they give you, as I found now, 0.8 of a percent off the variable home loan rate. So whatever is the variable home loan rate... They take 0.8 of a percent off it. I was only getting 0.5, so <laughs> so they give you 0.8 of a percent, which means at the moment I think my interest rate's about 5.98 percent or 5.9 percent, which is pretty good. That's not even a honeymoon rate. Yep. I, as I say, I don't care whether it's a major bank or a credit union. I've tended to find that the credit unions don't have a lot of the facilities like the big banks do, like offset accounts, whether their computer systems don't cope with it, I don't know. But they, um, but you just got to go and ask and, and see what they've got. Uh, so, any more questions? No? So now I'd like to talk about sourcing the money. So this is a little bit not just as a couple, but it's for a couple that's doing church planting. And I'd like to just talk about um, if you're starting a new church or you're into a church already, where are you getting your money from? And, and I guess uh, those of us who have asked, because I can't be included in your illustrious group, but <laughs> those of you who have done this have, have probably done all of the above where you've chased donors and family and, and church members for for money to be able to float the church. Yep. So that's sort of about where you can come from. One of the interesting questions that comes up from that is how much should I then rely upon external donors for funding the church budget? It's an interesting question. Hmm? Yeah, how much and for how long? So, uh, for example, you might decide, hey... We want to be able to, on day one, employ me and then in six months' time we want to bring on another full-time guy and two MTS workers 
and the church isn't going to support that, but I've been able to go to various foundations and whatever, and I've got all these grants so that 90% of our annual church budget is being funded from outside the church. Yep, sounds great if you can sell it and you can get the money from the, from the donors, from the grant seekers. But the question is, how, how important is that for your church to be able to own their own budget and for how long? Any thoughts on that one? Yeah. So, what what percentage of external support did you start with? So about sixty odd percent outside. Yeah. Yeah. And and you felt the congregation have still owned the budget. Yeah, but how did you find the congregation responded to that as you roll it out? Okay. Hmm. Well, my, my concern here is that they may not own the budget. Yeah? So that may not encourage them to give sacrificially to the work which involves ownership and all that sort of stuff. Any other thoughts? It's true. Yeah, but you could have them out doing ministry work, like out into schools or whatever like that, and as part of your church, pulling people in. But that, but that's really the trade-off, isn't it? Like, how fast do we grow? Uh, and if we can fund it, and we can grow rapidly, but then how much do we lose the ownership? Yep. And the other part that I wanted to bring out as well is that when, like, the more external donors you have, the more responsibility you have to them, um, and and that takes effort as well. And it, it's, it's effort that you have to provide as being the leader because if you've got a substantial donor that's providing funding to you, then they ro- really probably want to support you as the leader so you're the one that needs to give back to them. So it's actually, it's actually effort that you have to do to do that. Um, now, separating out personal from the church, um, I think it's important to understand where you are personally as opposed to where the church is. Uh, blurring the lines when you are in a, uh, a young church is very easy to do, um, but probably not terribly smart. Um, some churches initially may even start with a single bank account that they sort of run. That's it's not very good. And I don't think we'd be promoting that within Geneva. We'd be promoting a separate 
bank account and a separate legal structure for your church compared to your own your own stuff. So it is important that that part of this is if I just start my church and my church can't afford to pay me my full wage, then how do I live? And this is a, a very relevant thing, particularly for the girls here who are thinking, gosh, now we're going out and we don't even know that we're going to get enough money to, to keep the house going. How do we do this stuff? So it is important to work out what you are going to work with and how you're going to manage that in your new church. One of the concepts that is probably worth thinking as well is if the church can't afford to pay you your full wage in, say, the first year, um, instead of just saying, well, I'll just take this much, um, I would encourage you to actually set the bar for what your wage should be and then say, you know, for the first year I will discount that by this much and for the second year I'll discount it by this much and the third year I want to be on parity or something. That's the financial plan. Now the wisdom of that is that you've set the bar for what your wage should be and then it's your prerogative to discount that as a concession to the church so that if it's a less of a discount the following year, then it's, it's a logical thing. As opposed to if you say, well, I'll just take half the wage, then the next year when you want to put it up, they say, well, why should, why should you put your wage? You've lived on half the, what, you know. And so then trying to get yourself back to parity can actually create quite a bit of grief, particularly within your governance body or whatever. So I would really encourage you to think that through. The other part here is ministry expenses. Um, we mentioned about ministry expenses. Make it very clear as to what these ministry expenses cover. Um, like legally you can use them for ministry expenses. But, for example, there is different policies within different churches as to how much they cover. So in some churches they might say, if you've got to go to a seminar or you've got to you know, go to a Geneva conference in Melbourne... Um, that you've just got to pay for that out of your ministry expenses. Where some other churches will say, if that's not your normal ministry work, because it's a conference in Melbourne that we're asking you to go to, then you can claim those expenses from the church separately on top of your package of ministry expenses. Do you understand the difference? So it is really important, I think, to lay this out and determine what your policy is for your church and then make sure that that's clearly communicated to you know, the, your governing body, to your financial people, so that's all very clear and on board. And there are some of those things that are a personal benefit to you, um, and there are some things, like compared to a normal em- employee of a normal company, or housing allowance and those sorts of things. So there are things that are beneficial, but um, there's a bit like a sliding scale as to, you know, on this thing it's, it's probably 100% my benefit, but on this one it's really 100% not my benefit. It's really a work expense. And so, yeah, you, it, it is helpful to help people to understand that procedure. That's what Scott Sanders is here for, creating all these wonderful resources. And he's got all this stuff right at his fingertips. Have you, Scott? Yep. So here's your point of contact. And then Scott will try to sort that through. And, and then if there's, like, feedback on your evaluation forms or whatever that, hey, this would be really good to get help for, well, then that'll give Scott some guidance as to how to prioritise some of this stuff. Thank you for your attentiveness.